1: get married and figure out the rest later. That's a good Yeah, that one. sounds
0: great. Do you a, I mean, do you have a dowry? Or am I supposed to bring the dowry?
1: That's a good question, which which of our parents is supposed to pay the other parents to help us get married?
0: Yeah.
1: That's what a dowry is, right? Sorry. I mm-hmm. made the joke mm-hmm. and I realized I wasn't sure how it And goes. also
0: since we're both men, it's not 100% clear which of us would own the other.
1: Uh-oh. <laughs> <Which is laughs> oh no. <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're making jokes. I'm not owned. (laughs) I'm not owned, I say as I shrink into my arranged marriage. Um, We're making jokes about historical romance and weddings and things because Andrew read a book.
0: I did read a book. Every week, one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. We've never read the book before unless... We did, which we always announce up front, but this this one is a normal episode. I didn't yeah. read this book. It's <laughs> the Duke and I uh the first novel in the Bridgerton series that was adapted to Netflix. It's by Julia Quinn mm-hmm. and it's kind of just a good old-fashioned bodice ripper.
1: whoa. hey
0: now. and I don't I don't say that with any of the negative connotations that that phrase is picked up in my heart like I'm I am using it as a Flat and maybe even laudatory description of what the book is because, for being a bodice <laughs> ripper, I think it is very enjoyable and sort of well crafted with uh, a couple of prominent,
1: <laughs> well, but
0: uh, sticky
1: bits to talk about. Whoa! Are, <laughs> yeah are the are the bodices like ripped or are they like kind of gently tugged?
0: No, but I mean, there's some there's some ripping of clothes that happens okay. just a, just a little bit.
1: So this um, you are implying that this is. Uh, sexy book yeah it's it's a little racy okay i just wanted to just want people to know what they're in for here
0: yeah no and i i don't i don't want to disappoint any heaving bosoms uh listeners or hosts who have found our show since we (laughs) collaborated with them (laughs) i am probably not gonna do blow by blow Uh uh-huh uh for all the for all the sex stuff yeah if you know what i mean
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh but you know we'll, we'll go through it and we'll see how it goes. We'll see what piques my interest. Um, yeah. Neither of us have read Julia Quinn before. Nope. Um, and
0: I've watched the first episode of the Netflix show, but not any more of it. I so have. We, pr- we probably will not talk much about the show beyond just like it was adapted and here's the stuff about the adaptation, but
1: yeah, um, if you're listening to this episode because you watched the show and then read the books or, or vice versa, or you're just kind of curious about what the phenomenon is. We will probably talk about some of that. Um, I have seen like scattered snippets of the show while it's been on in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people waltz to arrange to like string quartet versions of pop songs, mm-hmm. which I believe is an ad- a, an addition of the show. I don't think those are that's in the books.
0: I mean, there there were no scenes in the book where <laughs> where Daphne. Is in a crowd and is like, and then they started playing a string version of "Don't Stop Believing."
1: Well, no. <laughs> okay, maybe that happens in one of the later books. But we're well, not I mean, again.
0: that also is literally how the reality show the courtship starts. No,
1: with <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I don't like you start it with "Don't Stop Believing." I don't know where you're supposed to go from there, but down. Yeah, that's I feel like true. you need to save your string rendition of "Don't Stop Believing" for later. But hey, I dig- I digress. News you can use here: uh, mm-hmm.
1: Julia Quinn is the pen name of Julie Pottinger, uh, born in nineteen seventy. Grew up in New England, also in California. Uh, her like author origin story that she told uh, in an interview with Writers' Right. This interview is something like twenty years old. Is it uh, Writers'
0: R I G T H T or W R I T E?
1: Right, Writers' like Right. Writers? Like authors off, you
0: might say. Okay. okay, so it's about writers writing and not about writers rights.
1: No, nor is it about people who kind of correct things. <laughs> or, or about like ceremonies performed by writers. Yes. <laughs> uh, or people who build ships. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, she talked to writers right. She said that her when she was young, her dad caught her reading um, Sweet Valley High books and things like that and she claimed because he didn't like that she was reading like trash i guess i don't know what her dad's deal was
0: i mean i think it sounds like he was just a man yeah like in several decades ago and he had some ideas about what was valid art and what was not well uh, valid art is about horses whales and the great depression (laughs) and that's it (laughs)
1: uh men will read a thousand books on whales uh Rather than go to therapy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, She claimed to her dad that these books were teaching her vocabulary words, but then, like, I guess he (laughs) called her out on it, and she already knew all the words. So then she claimed that she was writing, she was reading them so that she could research writing one of her own. And so she like, you know, pounded out part of a novel. Uh, Ultimately, when she was like fifteen or sixteen, submitted it somewhere. It did not get picked up. She Mm -hmm. it. With the gumption of someone who's published like 20 something books. She was like, I I went back and read it one day. It was pretty good. Like, okay, (laughs) Julia. Uh, She went to Hotchkiss and Harvard. She graduated with uh, an art history degree and didn't really know what to do with it. So she thought. That's that's unique. She thought, why not go to... I'm glad that that's a problem that's unique. That's like, you know, everyone has experienced throughout the ages. People have been having that
0: problem. I I kid my liberal arts major
1: peers. I kid kid them. Um, She didn't know what to do with it. So she thought, maybe I'll go to medical school. And I guess she was supposed to go to like the school of medicine at Yale or wherever. I don't know. But by the time that... A
0: fancy one.
1: She had to go... Yeah, she had to go back and like take additional college credits to get in. And while she was doing that, she was writing romance novels. Uh, and then by the time she got, she started med school. She had published three novels, mm-hmm. and then was like, got a few months in, and was like, no, nah, I'm just gonna go back to the books, thanks. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then dropped out of med school. So um, she is a member of the Romance Writers of America Hall of Fame. I understand that that is a rather small club. Um, mm-hmm. At least one or two of the books in the Bridgerton series have won R- RWA awards. Um, she dedicates almost all of her books to her husband. Um, and I just I don't know why that's on my list here. Uh, and also from her website, I learned that she won almost $80,000 on The Weakest Link. Andrew, goodbye. Whoa, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That seems like a really wow. hard. That seems like a show where it's really hard to win money. Actually, so whatever else, it also
0: seem she's a she's an extremely accomplished published author. But the fact that she won money on a game show was that was what really <laughs> was like. Whoa, this lady's yeah had an interesting life.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. I've got like Cause, just because I feel people. like
0: there there throughout history there have been more authors than there have been weakest link winners i think i mean i haven't done I the think. math but i feel like statistically that i don't to be know true. all of
1: the the global versions of weakest link but i think you're right i think the math checks out mm-hmm. there um, and the people who've done both
0: forget forget
1: about it forget about
0: forget it, about it. there might only be
1: her <laughs> uh she has <laughs> books in a number of series starting with the, the splendid trilogy the linden sisters agents of the crown those are all in the 90s, I think. And then Bridgerton kicks off in 2000 with The Duke and I. There are eight books in that series. We'll talk about that in a second. Then The Two Dukes of Wyndham, Bevel Stokes, My Smith. And then she has a few seri- like other books related to Bridgerton, uh, Rokesby and Lady Whistledown. And then she has some other collaborator books. So like again, very accomplished for someone who's been on The Weakest Link. Just mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of written <laughs> stuff that she's done here. Well,
0: we don't know that either. I don't have like the the scatter plot for like how cool the jobs, the day jobs of people who've won money on the Weakest Link. Okay,
1: are now I know so I don't for I don't, don't want to
0: besmirch anybody.
1: Okay, think about this, Andrew. We've got multiple <laughs> okay. listeners of this show who have been on mm-hmm. and won Jeopardy. I know this to be true. Because yeah, our listeners are a bunch of smartos. I have yet to receive an email from a listener who has been on The Weakest Link.
0: If you have won money on The Weakest Link or Regis Philbin era who wants to be a millionaire, None. Of, get out of here with this modern stuff. Yeah. Or like pretty much anything that's aired on the Game Show Network at any point. I would love to hear
1: your stories. Please tell us. We need to know what our wheel, reach is. you know, wheels big. I actually, I don't want to know if you've been on wheel. That would make me sad
0: because you haven't been on wheel. Yeah,
1: I want to. And you, be you were wheel.
0: so close, but you didn't quite get there. I okay, some, I think at some point in the last five hundred thirty episodes, <laughs> we've told the story. But if you haven't heard it, we'll save it for another I day. Pulled
1: names out of um, a hamper in Atlantic City. I was never going to win. Craig was um, cheated
0: out of a spot on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Is the short version. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing about the show that I really wanted to hit was sort of the discourse around it because it is a point of departure from this book where narratively I don't think there are as many points of departure. Um so everybody in the book is white or like very strongly implied to be white, but I think it does talk about everybody's color and kind of a lot, and it would be hard for them <laughs> not to be white based sure. on the descriptions. Yeah. Um but the book casts a lot of people of color. You mean and the show? The show I think does. that was the the show. Yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, in, in prominent roles, including the the Duke himself. Mm-hmm. Um And I, yeah, I think that decision was like equal parts lauded and criticized. Like on, on the one hand, like, you know, it's all just pretend why confine yourself to that demographically. Um And the, but, but on the other hand, like if you just insert, people of color into white roles and don't change anything else about them you can get yourself into a little trouble with like contextual stuff that you haven't tweaked
1: mm-hmm. yes correct and now i'm i'm throwing it to you yeah oh sure <laughs> sure i mean there are there are so the show is developed by shonda rhymes um of the shondaland oeuvre for netflix if uh-huh. you don't know um, and Chris Van Dusen, who worked for uh, Shondaland on Grey's Anatomy, and I wanted to say worked in Shondaland, like it was a place, but I don't know that that's the correct way to say that. <laughs> I do um, It's like a uh, theme park. <laughs> yeah. Um, worked on Grey's and, and Scandal. And I believe the story goes that just, you know, so there are eight of these novels that came out in the 2000s. Um, they, you know, they were bestsellers and stuff like that. And Chanda Rhymes was familiar with them, um, you know, really liked them, and handed one to this guy Van Dusen. Was like, "Hey, make this a show. <laughs> this is, this would be a uh-huh. good thing for my sick new Netflix contract." Um, and they took this thing. Now, I don't know if this is this. You may or may not know this. Andrew is Queen Charlotte in the mm-hmm. book. No, okay. So that's like an addition to the show that they took uh, Queen Charlotte, who I think was married to George the third, George the second, George the third, um, one of the King George's. Of Georges. And there has been a lot of research around Queen Charlotte's uh, lineage, whether or not um, she had African ancestry. Um, and there were people talking about this when the Meghan Markle engagement was announced, and, and a lot of um, racists had opinions. Um, but they don't took. They this, always, like don't they always, though? Like,
0: they always have something to say. <laughs> That's quite true.
1: Um, and mm. Van Dusen kind of took this, you know, they wanted to have a racially diverse cast um, and took this like idea of, well, what if Queen Charlotte was black and just what just was mm-hmm. uh, and was not passing mm-hmm. or something like that. And what if she used her stature to uh, like bestow uh, uh, like what am I looking what, for like dukedoms, like, or, dukedoms or titles and, or whatever. And, yes. Uh, nobility and, and things like that um, either on formerly mm-hmm. enslaved people or other people of color that were, living in in britain at the time and i i don't think Mm -hmm. that that is supposed to be explicitly clear at the start of the show and then it becomes clear um so it is living in this middle ground between like it is taking place in the real world and but it Mm -hmm. is not like trying to just ignore it, it, but it is also, like, fabricating a bunch of things uh, in terms of, you know, history uh, and how these characters came to their power and things like that. Um, and so you're yeah. right. It, like, a lot of the discourse has been around, like, it is really great to see characters of color in, in historical stories that don't just focus on, like, the trauma of what they might have been experiencing, uh, like racial trauma,
0: right? And it's also the like a, an effective counterweight to. Well, this series has dragons, but it's really it would be too hard to believe that there would be people of color in powerful roles at this at this point in history. Yes. which is nothing because it's not history. It's a made up, pretend fantasy show with dragons in it.
1: <laughs> yes, putses. like what do you? What are you doing? And and so th- I mean, I think. The a lot of the back and forth because then there's there's seems like there's some pretty well thought out critiques around like the way how these characters are treated in the show if they feel underwritten Mm -hmm. or playing, you know, once you uh you know cast people of you know specific heritage and roles, you might be playing into tropes and you need to be aware of that. Um, So I think folks have brought that to the fore, which is a critique of the show, whereas overall, you might just Mm -hmm. critique these books for being really, really white, even though there were certainly people of color (laughs) in that time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I just I found this quote from her about the historical accuracy thing, because she's been, you know, now these books are like selling with the actors from the show on the cover and so there might be a thing where yeah, because the, the
0: first the first season of the Bridgerton show, especially, was just this breakout hit that I don't think Netflix was expecting, and it's the kind of it's the, it was the caliber of hit that has gotten harder for them to make as other streaming services yeah. have proliferated and, and starting started to compete with them. So yeah, it was just it was this huge thing, and I think. Season two, I understand, has been less well-received. We're not going to talk about that. But like it, it was this huge thing. And any time an adaptation becomes huge, it naturally has a trickle-down effect for the yeah. for the books. Yeah, like assume, You know you've made it when you can buy an edition of the book, as I did, that has the actors from the TV show on the
1: cover. <laughs> yes. Well, and and I think Shonda <laughs> Rhimes' thinking in making this show in the first place was like, this type of historical romance, when you look at the TV landscape, Has been largely confined to just countless Jane Austen. Like no one is reaching for, you know, deeper into the catalog. But um, this quote from Mm -hmm. uh, Quinn, I found interesting. This is from that Writers' Right interview, where uh, from 20 years ago, before the show was anybody's idea, um, and someone asked her about historical detail. And she said, Actually, I never really thought of my books as having much historical detail. I don't do that much research for each book before writing it. Rather, I try to draw on a general knowledge of the Regency era that I've developed from reading history books and other romances. Within each book, of course, there'll be specific yeah, things yeah, yeah. I need to look up and usually take care of as I go along. So I think there's some fun to be had there and being like, okay, because I'm sure that people who like her books, and, and I don't know if she said this herself or not ever, but like you might... Say like, well, that's just the way it was. If if your book's all white say, in this <laughs> era, and mm-hmm. she is out here already, mm-hmm. and for other reasons, being like, I don't know, that's kind of I kind of scaffolded it on top of other experiences I'd had reading about that era. So we are we're far away from prim- primary documents and experiences already yeah. when we come it, into it really genre does work feel like and I yeah go ahead. Mm,
0: I I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all. It does it does feel like someone read a bunch of Bronte and Austin and other and like George Eliot maybe and some other people from this era and decided to write fan fiction about it. And like, maybe they looked up a little bit of stuff, but mostly it's just, it's less about capturing details and more about capturing vibes.
1: Yeah, sure. And And trying to
0: deliver, I think a modernized version of the romances that are at the heart of a lot of those books Mm -hmm. cutting out, the, you know, like the archaic language and, you know, some of the padding and just getting right to the racy stuff where they do each other.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. Uh, I'll just I'll shout out um, this piece, the debate over Bridgerton and race by Asia Romano on Vox from 2021. That has a pretty good rundown of a lot of the different. Um, critiques of the I think the first season of the show and kind of putting it in context with the book if you want to read more about that Uh, and then our friend Erin from Heaving Bosoms had sent me a list when she saw the schedule come out Um, there are some kind of own voices you know authors of color who've written historical romance and things like that that you want to make sure we knew about Um, so I'm just going to read a list of authors and then we can move on to the book itself Uh, Beverly Jenkins, (laughs) Jeannie Lynn, Courtney Milan, uh, Vanessa Riley, E.E. Ottoman, uh, and Sherry Thomas. So um, we might look into those for future episodes, but just wanted to put that in context with people being like, hey, Bridgerton, what's the deal? You know, what's the deal
0: with Bridgerton?
1: Well, let's find out. I would love for you to tell me about the first book in this series of Bridgerton.
0: (laughs) All right. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back and then we'll get down to brass tacks. Want you to picture this. You are a noble woman in Regency era England and you have 8 kids that you need to find marriage partners for. In the olden days, you would do that by going to a ball, but it's not the olden days anymore. It's now times and you need to modernize. One of the best ways to modernize is with a website from Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites They give you easy drag-and-drop tools, beautiful templates, and all kinds of e-commerce tools, plus nothing to patch or upgrade ever. So you can just worry about dowries and not about security updates. Squarespace lets you grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo, so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can also support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. And you also get powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. I don't know if marriage eligibility is one of the things that Squarespace tracks with its analytics, but... Who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe that's something they're working on. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, a match made in heaven.
1: So there are eight. Books in this franchise.
0: Mm, Is it one is it one for each of the Bridgerton kids, or is that a coincidence?
1: That is correct. And I think Nice. The good good catch. They're all set between (laughs) 1813 and 1827. Okay. Um uh what did I say? The one that won the RWA award, I think, was one of the last ones on the way to the wedding. I couldn't really find um I did not dive into like a, a Bridgerton wiki and also when things get adapted to TV it kind of creates a, there's a like a separate universe wiki that's really confusing. Yeah, um, and stuff
0: from stuff from the book either gets like sublimated to the show or isn't yes. isn't really paid attention to at all. So yeah, yeah, I get you.
1: I was I was trying to be I was trying to find out if do you need to read them in order? That kind of thing and it the does, first yeah, the first hit I found w- just was like you could probably just pick up one of them but you might miss how certain characters got together and I think there might be one or two like identity reveals or something that happened later in the series. But. Sure.
0: They're definitely not doing the Bridgerton kids in chronological order because this one starts with Daphne. Each one of the Bridgerton kids has a name that begins with the letter of the alphabet, and they are alphabetically ordered in order of in like birth order. So A B C D. Daphne is the subject of this one. That's not A. Yeah, it's not A. I mean A th- that character factors prominently into into the story because he is constantly threatening to kill people. But
1: wow. <laughs> A is for Afney. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. That's Anthony? Mhm. Cuz he's the, he's the one in season 2, I think. Is he now? Yes. Yes. Uh, season two of the book series anyway tell me just start
0: calling books seasons like oh yeah the two towers season two of the lord of the rings
1: you know how some (laughs) tv critics don't like it when you refer to tv as movies Do some i don't know what you're talking about authors feel the same when you say their book is like cinematic or something i just don't
0: I don't think that's done commonly enough for it to annoy anybody, but I think we can get the ball rolling on that.
1: Okay, I like it. How cinematic was this book?
0: This book is like a TV show. (laughs) This book is like a reality TV show. This
1: book is like a live album. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) This book is like a cave painting.
1: (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) This book is like uh, a freshman year sculpture.
0: I would just like to get back to a point where we can compare some forms of art to other forms of art and we can just kind of let the connotations be what they are and be like useful descriptors instead of having it be like a thing where you're trying to say that a piece of art is superior to another piece of art because of the medium that it's in.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Or it it feeling like a callous marketing pitch. Like Mm -hmm, this... mm -hmm. This is this will appeal to real cinephiles
0: or just or just a thing that that movie makers tell themselves to feel OK that they're doing
1: TV now. You know, well, that's <laughs> like, I I'm, think I'm, that's, that's a, a lot big of thing. That's a big, anyway, we, I want to find out about that. You said earlier in the show that it was mm-hmm. a steamy book. Steamy. And we've also talked about how it's said in history. History. And I want to know about those <laughs> two things.
0: No, I didn't say, hey, Siri. sorry phone uh so so yeah this book is is primarily about the bridgerton family we're introduced to them in this book um you get the matriarch uh, violet the patriarch has died at some point um in the in the past so we don't know about him but we do know that they had a marriage that was happy not always a certainty in this era of, you know, getting married for status, getting married for money, getting married out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, theirs was the, the marriage where they were happy and where they could have sex for pleasure. And th- those things were not givens in the in, in the society as presented in the book. Um, but the, so that's, that's who the bulk of the book is about. But the prologue of the book is about, uh, this guy, the Duke of Hastings mm. and his efforts to have an heir. So he has, the, he has a wife and they tried to conceive many times, but she keeps having miscarriages and the doctors are like, you probably should stop trying to have kids. Cause it's going to literally kill you. Mm. But she wants, he, he wants so badly to have an heir and she wants to, to, you know, have children and to, to give that to him. Not that it's like a super, this is not a marriage that has a lot of love in it, but it's no. just like the, they're they're doing sort of. I mean, the the duke is driven very hard by wanting his line to continue, wanting to have a son, wanting to have an heir,
1: and she is just like.
0: Anyway, I anyway, uh, they, if she that finally, happened,
1: maybe their marriage would be like fun. Maybe, like maybe where she's at, she, yeah.
0: but she finally bears a child. It is a son, and she dies in childbirth okay or like right after childbirth and he's not he's very happy that he's had a son and in fact he's so happy that he's had a son that he's not really all that bothered that his wife died like she did what she was supposed to in delivering him an heir do we like this guy (laughs) no we we hate this guy we hate (laughs) this guy real bad great uh so this guy is the the kid is simon uh simon is two he's still not talking yet okay and I, listen, I, I had a late talking kid and I know that, I mean, the Duke of Hastings is probably on all the parenting blogs. He's probably looking up oh, all, no. this, all the forums, kind of looking stuff up and getting worried that his kid is behind where all the other kids are supposed to be. But the, you know, people who are actually taking care of his kid, because of course he's not doing it because he's a man in Regency era England. Yeah. They're like, oh, it'll be fine. They'll, they'll, he'll catch up. Some kids, kids just go at their own pace. Flash forward two years. He's four. He's still not talking. And the Duke is like, well, great. I had an heir, but he's an imbecile and I hate him and he's stupid. And he's saying this basically to the kid and he is like marching on this kid, getting ready to do violence to him. And Simon speaks, but he has a stutter. And this only reinforces the the duke's uh, feeling that his kid is deficient in some way, and he just wants nothing to do with him. So he decamps to some other estate of his, and just kind of tells everybody that his son died, and doesn't, and that's just how he grows up. Is is Simon is constantly writing letters to his father, trying to get him to come back into his life, and his father just won't because he is so. A shame that he's had a, a child with, you know, what is, what he perceives as a deficiency. And so Simon like driven by this want for his father to be in his life. And also this, it, it, it comes up a little bit later, but it is a lot of, there is a lot of hatred in it. Just like wanting to prove him wrong, wanting to show him up, uh, you know, works very hard to overcome this, eventually does, though he still, you know, stammers when he is under stress or, or very angry, which of course he always is when he's around his dad. So he has a very hard time on the rare occasions when they do meet, convincing them that he is he is worthy of of love and attention and whatever. Uh, but so he, he grows up in this, in, in these very sad circumstances, having, you know, his mother has died. His father is out of his life. He the, he is very close with the people who are raising him and the, the people who staff the estate that he's growing up on, but he has no, you know, warm family relations and he, de- he determines, you know, he, he is, he, you know, he's going to go to college. He's, he's growing up and, and, and becoming the nobleman that he thinks his father wants him to be. But there's this, there's this confrontation between them where Simon just decides I'm not going to, I'm not going to give this guy anything that he wants. He was, you know, he was so worried that the line was going to die with him. Guess what? I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. The line's going to die with me. And I'm going to, I'm, that's going to be my ultimate revenge on my, my dad is I'm going to, I am going to do the thing that he wanted least in the entire world, and that's what's going like drive my life.
1: I don't think i've ever i don't think I've ever heard of a character with that specific motivation like a like aI will end my line <laughs> to mm-hmm. spite my father mm-hmm. motivation. I'm mm-hmm. sure there are other characters living that life, but I just have not encountered that particular setup before mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. Is it is it like I don't know how do you how do you feel about this guy Andrew? I mean, you are reading it.
0: Something that that Quinn does very well, and and why this book you know got adapted, why it had fans pre adaptation, and has picked up a lot of fans post adaptation is just, the characters are are very well drawn, and there's there's stuff about them. Even even the Bridgerton family, like you don't get to know all the siblings like intimately. But each of them, you know, the the alphabetical naming is super smart because it sort of establishes an an order very early on. It gives them like a specific quirk. It establishes Mm. maybe that there is like a sense of playfulness or a sense of like being grouped together and, and, and enjoying being grouped together to this family. Sure. And also when the one with the H name speaks, you know that you're listening to the youngest one because H is the latest letter in the alphabet that the family gets
1: to. (laughs) I I have Uh, sometimes had problems with books where there's like a big set of siblings like keeping the power dynamics or at least like the age dynamics straight. And that does Mm -hmm. seem like a really useful tool just to easily be like, meh, that's Mm -hmm. the baby.
0: And, and I think it's also a, a even, you know, you, you mentioned the specific storytelling thing doesn't come up a a ton, but the storytelling or character building mechanism where like a a person has a bad relationship with their parents and it shapes their worldview and how they, you know, how they plan their own lives. Like that is a very recognizable. Yeah. Uh, mechanism for for Mm -hmm. building a person so yeah Simon is very distinct you do instinctively want to root for him because you know he's just had a difficult life and that's with an asterisk difficult life for somebody in Regency era England who is inheriting multiple (laughs) estates (laughs) you don't really you don't talk to anybody below like house like the manager of your house in this book
1: yeah we're not doing any upstairs, downstairs stuff. We're, in and this we're book. done
0: when we're not doing any remains of the day stuff where you hear anything or, or, um, Downton Abbey stuff where you hear anything from the perspective of the help at all, even okay. a little bit. <laughs> okay. It's just not what it's concerned with. Um, so, uh, Simon has been abroad for a while cause he doesn't want to see his dad. He, he is a, he's in his like mid to late twenties. Um, and he just, he hasn't been around for a while. But you learn that he was friends in college with uh, Anthony Bridgerton, the oldest child of the Bridgertons and the, old, the, you know, the oldest brother, the, the guy who is sort of the, serving as the patriarch of this family since the father has died. And then you also hear everything about Violet Bridgerton and her efforts to marry off her sons and especially her oldest daughter, Daphne. And so Daphne is being trotted out to all these balls, introduced to all these suitors, but she's kind of a Regency era. Cool girl. Okay. In that she can, you know, a lot of, a lot of dudes view her as a friend, but not as a potential romantic partner. Uh, And also having three older brothers has taught her how to do things like throw a punch and, you know, hold her own in a, in a, in in witty repartee, sure. <laughs> she, yeah, she she can skateboard. Is yeah, what she you, can like, skate. Yeah, she can skateboard. She can like eat hamburgers. She can do all the cool girl stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. That's actually that's what they how they updated this like when they adapted it for the screen. You can tell. You can tell
0: because she skateboards everywhere. Like, she's she's wearing a full, like, Regency era ball gown, but then she lifts it up a little bit, and you see underneath it, there's just a skateboard.
1: Yeah, and it's wild, because she's moving around the whole time. You don't even see her feet touch the ground, and then you don't even know where she got it from. She's got Mm -hmm. a slider from White Mm -hmm. Castle, and Mm -hmm. she's chowing down.
0: Yeah, and then she, like, digs around in the folds of her her dress, and she pulls out a monster energy drink.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Pulls out her engage. Play some snake. I don't even know what we're <laughs> talking about. Anymore. Talking about cool girls.
0: Uh, so this this is the situation at the begin- at the beginning of the book. It's like Daphne is being driven a little up the wall by her mother and her efforts to get her married. We've we've talked a little bit about this. Our show, as we have done more books. Um, especially by like Austin and by the Brontes and, and and as we've gotten more familiar with this form of literature, like marriage is the, is the be all end all of these books because for young women in this period, it was like literally the only way to, to move up to, to secure your position in society to have a family, to have children. Like it, it was kind of the only tool in your toolbox if you're a, a noble woman in this era because you know you you are basically the property of whatever the oldest man in your family is
1: well yeah and even if you're a cool girl you're not necessarily taught like skill like a trade yeah right you know like,
0: like even if you went even if you went to college you're not really taught that like you're still sort of expected to find a find a husband as soon as you're old enough to do it like and legally the law does not make allowances for cool girls unfortunately
1: unfortunately no <laughs> that's that's been true throughout history mm-hmm. go back to joan of arc the law was not on that cool girl yeah, side the original the original cool the girl, original cool girl. <laughs> <laughs> So and you oh, and you did say Daphne okay by by the letter d Daphne does have three older brothers so yep, yeah three. she is the oldest yeah she got to get married cool girls yeah, got to get married yeah so, and
0: and most of the daughters are not sort of a, of marriageable age yet her mother is leaning on all the boys to get married but it's you know they're men so they get a lot more leeway in this situation to go and be rakes people are called oh. rakes a lot in this book it's it's i think it's a good word i do think it can be used too many times
1: can, well, the second you use, does, does it get used for multiple characters? I think we get yeah. one character per book who gets to be a rake. That's my thing.
0: I think it's just like many handsome men in their early to mid-20s in this book are considered to be rakes or sort of consider themselves to be rakes. God, lots, of, a, lots of raking going just on. Just a
1: rake of Bridgertons over mm-hmm. here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, cause, so they can go off and be... And be uh, cool man cool guys yeah they
0: they 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 have more time like i i don't think there are not people gossiping gossiping at, at parties when a 32 year old man is not married in this like the people are definitely they doing that be. when when they should be but not the way that they do about you know <laughs> a <laughs> decrepit ancient old 23 year old woman a spinster, still skateboard still skateboarding but you can't you skateboard be, forever. You got to settle down. You don't want to be a
1: skateboard and spinster. <laughs>
0: how many cats can you fit on your skateboard? Probably not that. <laughs> probably not that many.
1: Okay, so how are these two characters going to meet? Because I bet that there's going to be a cute way that they meet.
0: Well, so there, there's a suitor of Daphne is one of the few men who's shown interest. And he's kind of a dud. He's like the character in a Nora Ephron movie who we want the female love interest to leave so that she can be with the real male love interest.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. well, uh, You've Got Mail was on the other day. It's the Greg Kinnear. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. For sure. And so she is trying to let him down gently because he, you know, she... she doesn't want to rip this guy's heart out, but she definitely doesn't want to get married to him. Mm. And the Duke of Hastings, Simon now is the Duke of Hastings, has returned from abroad, is back in London. The boy is back in town, and he's <laughs> come to this party to <laughs> to uh, sort of pay a visit to this lady, Danbury, who I think has a has a bigger role in the show, but in this book sort of she she appears a few times, but she's not really central. You don't really spend a ton of time with her, but she's a she's a, a woman who throws a lot of parties, um, sort of facilitates a lot of marriages, and sort of and sees everything. Oh, Um, the other the other character who's like that in this book, who I also think is a bigger presence on the show is a Lady Whistledown, who is a fictional character who writes basically gossip mags about all the relationships and the people in this community.
1: Am I? I think Lady Whistledown might be the character that is the Julie Andrews Gossip Girl style voiceover from the show. Yeah, that's her. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like every every. um. Every chapter begins with a missive from her latest newsletter. But I think I think the show does a little bit more like who is who is Lady Whistledown. A little well, bit more of that like mystery box thing well, with yeah, her character. All- in, in in this, she is just kind of a omniscient semi-narrator who you check in with when you want to know what the people in society know about what is happening in the book that you're reading sure
1: yeah she plays <laughs> she yeah she plays a role of the like the chorus mm-hmm. of london a little bit yeah um but yeah i mean you do that in the show you got to do the mystery box we all know how good it was when they revealed who gossip girl was yeah we all know how satisfying that was hmm don't we? Just,
0: we had a we have we have a friend present tense who did past tense work at Netflix. <laughs> and I remember her talking about how adamantly Netflix management was like you cannot call this. Jane Austen meets Gossip Girl. You cannot mention Gossip Girl when you talk about this show. We just don't want to draw comparisons to Gossip Girl. Please and thank you. (laughs) That's that's not our show and it's not on brand for us. So don't do it.
1: (laughs) That's what every review and preview of this show. It's in the New York Times article about this show. I
0: know. I know. The media, listen, the media did it, but that doesn't mean that Netflix wants to perpetuate that that narrative, you know what I mean?
1: Joan of Arc was the original gossip girl. She had gossip about God.
0: She did she she, she and God just like gossiped about <laughs> about what the aristocracy was doing.
1: Okay, so she's got to get away from this boring man. so well, she so, can fall so the duke in love of this other guy.
0: Duke of Hastings, com- Simon coming to this party, he doesn't want to really be at. Stumbles upon them. He's badgering her and and he is listening to them talk. And he is like, well, do I need to like swoop in and and help this woman? And he almost does it. And then she lays out Nebuchadnezzar. uh, Greg Kinnear guy with a punch. And then she steps into the light and he is immediately smitten with this beautiful, amazing woman who he's never met before. The thing that you need to know about this meeting is that the scene, like the scene before this was him and Anthony Bridgerton, Uh, catching up over a drink because, like I said, they were college friends. And Anthony's like, well, it's cool to be such good friends with you. The only thing that you can't do is date my sister.
1: Oh! (laughs) The the oldest of friend pacts. Yeah,
0: and so he immediately... He goes and meets his sister and doesn't know that it's his sister for just long enough to fall head over heels in love and lust with her.
1: Sure, sure.
0: sure. Um, so I've gone blow by blow so far, but the uh, and you know if again if we were doing a heaving bosoms on this, we would continue to go blow by blow, and it would be a lot of fun. But I am going to just elide over a lot of the middle part of the book where they are obviously going to get together, but are acting like they are not. So they, they strike up what they both swear up and down is a fake relationship. Wait, where he doesn't want to be bothered by all the moms who are trying to marry their daughters off to him. And she wants her mom off her case. And so they resolve, we are going to publicly date for a while to, to Until the heat dies down. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but we aren't going to fall in love because I, Simon, the Duke of Hastings, can never get married. I can't. And I especially can't have kids. Ever. I can't do it. So don't you dare fall in love with me. And then guess what happens?
1: <laughs> I was going to say mm-hmm. that these fake relationships never work out. They but what I really out. mean is that mm. they always actually work out because they turn into real relationships.
0: They always yeah, you really play yourself when you enter into a fake relationship with somebody because you always
1: actually fall in love with them. Because you so, find yourself thinking a lot about that person. You've yeah. already got some sort of relationship with them that you said, you know what? I think this fake relationship
0: You've got you've got enough of a rapport with them. Yes. That you can say, let's have a fake relationship together, and they don't immediately call the police.
1: <laughs> yes, and so then now you've got a secret together, which bonds you to each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you're, and what you're, you know, what else can you keep secret?
1: What is the mic picking
0: might- up? How I'm waggling my eyebrows?
1: Oh, I I can distinctly hear the little waves of air just a
0: little squ- the squish of my forehead skin <laughs>
1: coming to coming together what else are they keeping <laughs> secret Andrew
0: they, I mean they are d- that they're in love with each other oh because they eventually they're at some other Lady Danbury joint and they go out <laughs> in the bushes and kiss and Anthony sees them gets super mad uh, he sees her boob because Simon gets her boob out <laughs> and this is you know she and so now she's ruined because a man has kissed her in, in public and other people might have seen yep and so she's gonna just like she's gonna get like banished to that what it was the island that napoleon got banished to Elba? like she yeah she needs to be removed from polite society and just like placed on a rock in the middle of the ocean because she's damaged goods now and anthony is so so mad and he punches Simon and is like, we're going to have a duel and I'm going to literally shoot you for besmirching my sister's honor and then not getting married to her. Cause Anthony has been like in on the fake relationship thing and he doesn't approve, but he sort of gets it a little tiny bit. And so well, begrudgingly he goes, guy, along. right? He, yeah. He likes both of them, but then he's just like glaring at them in from the bushes every time, every time they're together from then on until finally he sees them smooching each other. And he's like, "Well, you have you have, you are ruining my sister. You won't get married to her. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot you in a duel." Oh. So they go to have a duel, and Simon is resolved. Listen, I can't. I I really like Daphne. She's really great, but I can't get married. So I'm just gonna. And I don't think Anthony's gonna chill before this duel happens. And so I'm gonna let him shoot me, and I'm gonna die. And it's better for me to be dead than to. Get married to Daphne and not be able to give her what she wants because she's she's been this huge like sort of zooish family and she wants to recreate that for herself. She wants to have her own family and he is resolved to never ever have kids because of his dad heir situation that we talked about a little bit before, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, Daphne runs in dramatically, stops the duel punches also punches Simon to try to get him to lay down on the ground so that Anthony can't shoot him. Oh, okay. And he is like, listen, okay, fine. I'll marry you, but I can't have kids. I just can't do it. And she th- thinks about it for like 45 seconds. Cause that's all she has. And then tells Anthony, yeah, we're going to get married. So you can, you can put your gun down. It's going to be fine. Um, and then we get, we get a scene where Violet comes in and, very uh, embarrassedly tells Daphne the facts of life. Like there there is a marital act oh, that neat. you do and it results in pregnancy, but none of the mechanics are really explained Of course not. to Daphne. And so Daphne goes into this marriage. She She's feeling a little, she's feeling kind of a way about not having kids, but she's like, you know, I, I like Simon a lot. I have a big family. They're all going to get married. I'm going to have lots of nieces and nephews. Like I, I, I'll be able to, I would rather have Simon and have no kids than have kids with somebody who I don't like very much. Yeah. Um, and so they have sex several times and they are very into each other. Um, and they both are are just having very successful sex every night for a while. But Simon is always before before things can finish up, he is practicing the pull out method. I don't know if any of this earns us an explicit tag, but I like literally can't talk about the rest of the book without talking about the mechanics of how getting pregnant works. He pulls out and spills a seed on the ground as it were. Yeah, And she, you know, knowing nothing about how sex works, she sort of notices it, but doesn't really think anything of it. But then she remembers a thing that somebody said to her once about how a, you know, a good pregnancy needs to come from strong seed. And she's like, whoa, seed, maybe that thing that he's not letting happen in me is the thing that gets you pregnant. And maybe if he is insisting on pulling out and not letting it go in there, that he has lied to me about being unable to, to get me pregnant. It's not that he can't do it, it's that he won't do it.
1: That is that is when she finally, re- like, so the book has hinged heretofore mm-hmm. on her thinking that he is incapable yes. physically as yes. opposed to incapable emotionally.
0: Yes, because they they have not had a discussion about his dad issues at all yet at this point. Cool marriage. I am, I'm, yeah, super cool marriage. <laughs> I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you things that the reader knows because you've, you know, yeah, you've, yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. An- access I'm just to making both the sure characters. That that ling- heads. I wanted to clarify yeah, that, sure.
1: like, linguistic beat there. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I, and I, it's good to clarify that I, I'm telling you the book is you, the reader, read it, but the characters in the book don't have access to all the knowledge that the reader has. Cool. Um, Irony. So, yeah, this is a big this is a big bump in the road for their relationship. They get in a big fight. Uh, Simon goes out and gets wicked drunk, comes back, like falls down on the floor of her, the bedroom that she's sleeping in. And like, they sort of kind of make progress on like talking it out and maybe reconciling a little bit, but he's very drunk. And then he goes to bed. And then, so this is the scene that, is the most problematic. Like there's a whole like section on the Wikipedia page about this. There was a lot of discourse from the show about this because it doesn't really change what happens in the book. But she Daphne knowing full well that he does not want to have kids has sex with him while he's in like a semi unconscious state and lets him finish inside her. And then he sort of wakes up and comes to his senses just as this is happening, and his like his stammer comes back and he is so so upset about this thing like it's it's both the betrayal that she has like the 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 unconsensual thing that she just did to him and also how mad and stressed out he is about it and how it makes him sort of revert to this to this person or this like stage of his development that he is like deeply ashamed about and that's his whole life is sort of revolved around.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um
0: and so yeah, the the rest of the book is like they they separate for a couple of months. She thinks she's pregnant for a while but then isn't. Um I'm kind of glad that she didn't get pregnant from just like one I was wondering if that's sexual how it was encounter because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um she thinks that she's pregnant for long enough to send him a letter being like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Uh, lady Whistledown's writing about how these, you know, they seem pretty happily married, but also they, they are not hanging out with each other. Like I've not seen the Duke in a while, even though Daphne is still hanging, still in town. Um, and you know, Anthony's getting very upset again because it seems like Simon has hurt, uh, Daphne in a way that he swore up and down that he would not do. Um, and simon gets the news that she's pregnant and is very you know feeling a way about it but he needs to go and and see her like he cares about yeah, her a sure. lot and and goes back to london from where he has like run away to 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 see her and to talk about it and they see each other and she reveals you know i my uh, my cycle was just late i am ac- i'm not actually pregnant i i didn't lie to you i really sincerely thought I was pregnant and then it didn't happen. And so from there, they have a heart to heart about Simon's upbringing and why he hates his dad so much and what his whole life is revolved around, which is, you know, this, this hate for his dad and this need to, to ruin what his dad wanted. And Daphne is being like, listen, this, you are not doing this for you. You were doing this you're letting your dad control you and he's not even alive. Mm-hmm. And this is sort and this is the thing. This is, this is the thing that makes Simon eventually his like thinking change. And he's like, well, I could just have a lot of love in my life and I could have, uh, f- the family that I didn't have growing up and it doesn't need to be about my dad. It can just be about what I want. And so eventually they do have, kids and, and it's a happily ever after thing, but it doesn't change this like really sort of icky. Both like I came away as a reader, both bothered by how, like how deeply I believe that you need to be on the same page about the kid thing before you get married. Like absolutely yeah. do not ever like legally and financially tie yourself to another person hoping that they're going to change their mind about not wanting to have kids because that is not even well, if they do change their mind about not wanting to have kids like i don't i i feel like you need if, to
1: correct me if i misheard you but like by the time they get married it is a like a mutual decision to get married right like this yes, isn't a book yeah. about Uh, an imbalance of power. No, it's, it's, you know,
0: even though the imbalance of power comes up a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, it's, she, she gets married to him because she wants to, he gets married to him or he gets married to her because he likes her a lot. But her understanding is that he literally can't conceive. Not that he won't.
1: Won't. Sure. Yeah. Um, I found a quote. I found a quote from her. There was a guardian interview with her about the show um in her being quinn uh quinn <laughs> not daphne sorry not not um, no
0: not even i i was wondering about shonda rhymes oh, no, no. where she was, was in this whole situation fair but, enough this ahead. was
1: an interview with quinn in 2021 um uh in the guardian written by allison flood and uh they talk about this scene um and uh what she says. In all of my books, it's probably the only scene that comes close to something of non-consent. At the same time, not a single person really said anything. I don't... If anything, the reaction was, you go, girl. The fact that it has come into discussion shows how far we've come. Women's understanding of ourselves and our agency has changed so much. It's harder for us to identify with Daphne and the fact that within the marriage and in that society she has no power. I'm not saying that what she did was right. I'm just saying it's harder for a modern woman to understand it than it was 20 years ago. Uh, if and then the article says, if Quinn were to write the scene now, would she alter anything? Certain things would be done a little differently, she says. But even if I wouldn't actually change what happened, I might change how it is described. And I do think that, like, how you want the reader to feel about Daphne is pretty important to yeah, how yeah, you yeah. write that scene.
0: Yeah, like I, you can depict
1: protagonist. You can
0: you can depict protagonist doing bad things in in your book it should just there should be a I I think personally like you know there there can be as many schools of thought about this I I I think you as the author or as the storyteller can and, and probably should make sure to also check how your audience is supposed to feel about that you know what I mean like like you are you can show, you can want your audience to root for Daphne. You can show Daphne doing a bad thing, but you need to convey that you are not endorsing that thing. That it is in fact a bad thing that the the otherwise likable yeah.
1: character is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I also don't know how I feel about her. Like, well, twenty years ago, we had we just wouldn't have thought that. Like, I don't know that that's I. It,
0: that's it is a, a little like you, you, I don't know that you can have your. I'm just kind of winging it. Timeline wise and also Yeah, I I don't think you can have that cake and eat it (laughs)
1: too. Yeah, and and I had I had read a little scuttlebutt on some of the like why weren't there more characters of color in her novels when she was writing them stuff about being like but then kind of leaning on the historical accuracy argument to kind of be like, Well that's just you know, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into like dealing with those issues and
0: that's and like i I guess that's her prerogative but but that doesn't mean that she's immune from like criticism for it and i think the thing that the thing that makes the it was 20 years ago whatever argument feel a little flat to me is that it was adapted like 18 months ago and and they 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 didn't change that scene so
1: yeah yeah um in
0: fact only made it more problematic by making the duke be a black character, yeah, and yeah. Daphne be a white character,
1: and and I and I know that there were you know people who were upset that this was the series that got picked up and got uh, you know all of these kind of you know initial buzz for the casting um, and the adaptation to include more characters of color um, when there were already stories with characters of color set in this era. So that's like if that's what you're looking for. Those books were there. You could have adapted those too. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, it. All of this to say, this is this massively popular thing, which means we can come at it from like a bunch of different angles.
0: We can come and, at it from a bunch of different angles. And like, the the thing for me is like, I I enjoyed reading this this book. I think it has a lot of really well drawn characters, and you know, it, even though it is, people come to conclude like it moves awful fast, like emotionally. It it is hard for me to imagine in real life that in the space of two months people could go from strangers to married to like overcoming their over, and Greg? overcoming their deep seated childhood traumas together like in the mm. you know in the space of like half half a year or whatever the timeline in this in this book is um, but it's but, but I think everybody's everything works it's just that it has these that one sequence in particular hangs over it a little bit. Sure. And it overshadows the things that I think the, the book and, and the show also are, are doing well by just like being there and and being such a big, such a big pivot point for the whole thing.
1: Sure. When it doesn't seem like that's, necessarily, I don't know. Unpacking that doesn't seem like that's what the book's about.
0: I don't, think it would be impossible it might not even be particularly hard to have the emotional arc be the same without having there be mm. non-consensual sex in it
1: yeah probably possible
0: i guess i get why you want to have the symmetry of daphne feeling betrayed by him saying can't mm. what he means won't and then yeah. simon feeling betrayed when she does this but i i th-
1: think i think i think the the second one is worse yeah i
0: mean but you know thinking about it in context it's not like daphne can just like go out and get a divorce like that's not a it is a permanent she did make an extremely permanent decision about her life based on incomplete information and the character who gave her the information knew it was incomplete when he when he gave it to her so like i i get you you can get to these two things being in the same like ballpark of bad with each other if you really want to, but I I don't think that's your first thought as a modern reader. Probably
1: you know what I mean. Well, and it sounds like it still kind of took you out of it a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. Because yeah. it is it is so. And I, uh, I I
0: knew I knew the scene was was coming, and and I okay. sort of
1: yeah. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: All right. Well.
0: I, I knew the scene was coming, and it was still sort of skeezy to actually read it.
1: Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. sure. Um, well, that's this book. Again, I don't know that the other books are like... There's not a like plot baton being passed off, is, in my understanding. It is mm-hmm. just kind of like we're going to work through these other characters. This show
0: is like a relay race. That's the art form that my show is the most like. Just passing the uh, plot baton, put, baton from runner to runner until we get to the end.
1: <laughs> this show is like a line dance mm-hmm. it's got a couple of things that we all do over and over together mm-hmm. this show
0: is like the game Jenga where you just sort of keep pulling out plot threads until the whole thing topples over under its own weight.
1: <laughs> this show is like a sandwich
0: we got it we got wrap it up <laughs>
1: Well now well, we got to wrap much know. like a
0: much like a sandwich. We have to wrap this thing up because no I think a wrap is a sandwich.
1: We'll ever know what I was going to say. No. If you think this show is like a sandwich, you can tell us why uh, by sending us an email at overduepod@gmail.com. At Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at Overdue Pod. Thanks to Parent Lake, Rachel, Lexi, Greg, Katie, Rebecca, Sonia, Thad, and many more. Uh, you weren't tweeting about sandwiches, but I see you. I thank you. Uh, thanks to Nick Larangis, who... Uh, who composed our theme music. Thank you, Andrew, for telling me about this book. You're welcome. Uh, If folks want to know more about the show, where do they go?
0: Overduepodcast.com is our website. Uh, You can find on that website links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. You click on those, you buy the book, you get a book, your local independent bookseller gets some business, and we get a small cut for being the middleman. So support middlemen. buy buy books from our website we'll never
1: in any other context say support middlemen but in this instance it's us yes it is us
0: um patreon.com slash overdue pod if you want to cut out the middleman which again is us and support us directly which still is us that's i think i just figured out capitalism is you just have to own every single link in the chain so that you always get something no matter what (laughs) Uh, patreon.com support us directly there you get early access to bonus episodes you get access to our discord server one of the conversations going on in that server that I really like this week is somebody uh, posting a thought experiment where everybody talks about the kinds of stereotypes that they are Uh, Mm. Craig said that he was a straight white man with a beard who liked to brew beer and I said that I was a straight white man who had a podcast (laughs) So yeah. I think we, I think we have, I think that shows that we have some self-awareness at least about There was ourselves. also some
1: good Bridgerton conversation in there, which I think is one of the things that helped lead yeah, us to, I mean, to cover it. Yeah, I mean, there's
0: more directly relevant conversation going on too, I guess.
1: Just saying.
0: It's just, it's a happening place. It's a happening place on the internet for all the cool people to be. That's
1: actually where I understood why people maybe didn't like season two of Bridgerton as much. That's yeah. All.
0: Yeah. Same uh craig what are you reading next week
1: uh Gentlemen in moscow by mortals
0: rock and roll all right everybody until we come back at you next week try to be happy